Counsel the Word, the podcast of the Center for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship. I'm your host, Keith Palmer, and today we're going to be trying to answer the question, why do we sin? struggle with indwelling sin, and part of the Christian life is figuring out how, by the power of the Holy Spirit and God's work in us, we battle temptation, we battle sin so that we put off the deeds of the flesh and we grow in righteousness toward being like Christ. And that's why I'm very excited to have in the studio with me today my good friend, David Gibson. David is one of the elders here at Grace Bible Church in Granbury, Texas, where I have the privilege of being on the pastoral staff. David is also a Bible translation consultant with the New Ireland Translation Institute, which is associated with uh, Wycliffe, and he's currently working on a project to translate the New Testament into one of the many dialects in the country of Papua New Guinea. So uh, David's here, and uh, I'm grateful that he's uh, uh, taking a few minutes to sit down with us to talk about why we sin. So David, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. So why do we sin? Uh, Really, in the first few chapters of the Bible, God begins to unfold for us why we sin. Would you unpack that a bit for us, please? Yes. um, One of the things that's striking going through the scriptures is that over and over again, the Lord seems to really want us to understand the process or understand why we sin. And one of the first places or the first place he starts teaching us is about that is right at the beginning. And in chapter 3 of Genesis, which is just in the middle of page 2 in my Bible, God shows us a picture of what happens when people sin. And setting the stage here, uh, in chapters 1 and 2, we see that God makes creation. He creates man and woman, and he puts them in the garden and very specifically says three things. One is that he's provided everything that they need. He's given them guidance and instruction about the proper way to live and things that are harmful to them. And he also establishes his authority in that there are going to be consequences if they reject uh, his instruction and guidance. So when we come to chapter 3, what God does is he just tells us the story of what happened uh, leading up to Adam and Eve sinning. And as God often teaches, uh, just simply telling a story where we can see what happened, uh, Jesus often does that when he teaches, uh, either telling parables or just simply ministering and having his disciples watch. What God does is he tells us what happened in the garden that day, and so we can watch and see what happens. And what happens is Satan comes and talks to the woman, and he basically challenges the truth of what God has said about the fact that the fruit from a particular tree is bad. God has said it's bad, and Satan basically says it's not. And what we see there then is Eve knows what God said, but we see then uh, in verse 6, that the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise and she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. And then we know the consequences there of them recognizing that and being ashamed and hiding themselves. 
And when God comes and confronts them about this, when he asked the woman what happened, the woman says, uh, God asked her, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now, it's just part of the way Hebrew narrative works, that when there's dialogue, um, that's important. God's slowing the story down, and he's revealing what's going on in people's minds and what they're thinking. So when we read chapter 3, we actually see in here that there are three accounts of what happened leading up to Eve eating the fruit. There's the account that the narrator gives us, and then there's the account that... Adam gives, and then there's the account that Eve gives. And it's just part of how Hebrew narrative works that we want to compare those. And when we look at what Eve says when God asks her, what have you done? She says, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. But when we look back at the narrator's account of what happened, the serpent deceived me, there is an account of the discussion that went on there. But then before she eats, there's actually something that happens between there, and that is the narrator tells us that Eve saw that the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, and it was desirable to make one wise. And that is what Eve left out of her account is that she was thinking and evaluating whether or not that fruit was good. And backing up to being deceived by the serpent, Uh, We're seeing on what basis was she evaluating whether it was good and desirable or not. So what we see when he gives her account is she has left something out. And what she left out was what she was thinking that led up to her eating the fruit. She's wanting to just draw a straight line from the serpent deceived me and I ate. And what she left out in her account to the Lord is when she actually thought about it and considered and chose to eat the fruit. Um, We can see here that Satan did not throw Eve to the ground and pin her down and force her to eat that fruit. She chose to eat the fruit. And when we look back, we see it's because she thought about it and evaluated it and decided that it was good to eat, even though God had said that if she ate it, it she would die. Well, why did she do that? When we look back on the conversation that she had with the serpent, we see that Eve was very well aware of what God had said. But the serpent um, put some doubts in her mind and said, No, you won't die if you eat it. Now, it's interesting here, Satan does not say that Eve misunderstood what God said. What he does is he casts doubts on God's motive. He says, you won't die. God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So what Satan has done is... She basic, he basically has given her the idea that God is holding out something good <clears throat> or holding back. He's holding out on her. There's something good that God does not want her to have. And so when she starts evaluating whether or not that fruit is good or not, rather than trusting what God has said, that that fruit will kill her, 
she is deciding that it's something desirable and good based on a lie. And when she evaluates it as something good, and the more she thinks about it, then she begins to have that desire for it and want it. And then that comes all the emotions of longing for it, and she finally reached out for it. And so, actually, the reason she took and ate that fruit is not just that Satan deceived her, but because she chose to believe a lie rather than believe God and cultivated a desire for it, and she reached out and took it. But in her account to God, she wanted to just draw a straight line from what God said to eating the fruit as though, well, that was inevitable, and she's removed her culpability. Now, that's really insightful because I think that's what we all do, right? We, we want to jump right to the conclusion and we really miss, we leave out that mental process. And I think that's part of what God wants us to see here is what's actually going on inside of us. Um, and that helps us to know, well, how do we end up in that situation? Well, I know that, um, again, God is kind to try to inform us what's going on inside of us in terms of why we're tempted and why we sin. And I know James especially uh, develops this even further as, as almost a, a sort of commentary or a way of analyzing even more uh, what Adam and Eve did back in the early chapters of Genesis. Um, how does James help us to understand why we sin? Well, it's interesting. A lot of the things that God wants to teach us, he will both teach by example, as we see in Genesis 3 and 4 and throughout the history, he'll show us examples of something happening and we can learn uh, as God just shows us what it looks like. But there are places where God just simply explains the process. Uh, as we know in the book of James, he's largely addressing facing trials. We know that in James he says that we should count it all joy when we encounter various trials. And he talks about that, but then later on in chapter 1, he begins to shift to talking about being tempted. And the connection there is when we are um, facing difficulties and trials that God has allowed to come into our life, we might be tempted to follow sinful means to get relief from trials. And that's why the issue of temptation comes up, a little bit of... Um, just clarification here, because we tend to think of tempted, often temptation, just simply to physical pleasures. But sometimes the temptation can be to sin, uh, to escape difficulty. And I think that's what it leads up to it. But when we get down to verse 13, James tells us, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted... And here's what we're focusing on. Each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. What God is explaining to us here is exactly what he underlined in story form in Genesis chapter 3. And that it wasn't really so much the fruit that tempted Eve or even Satan. What tempted her was her own evaluation and desire for that fruit that grew out of her believing lies. 
She believed lies, and then based on those lies, she began to interpret what is desirable, what do I want, what's good, and what's bad. And then based on those evaluations, we begin to have these these desires that will pull us to try to obtain something, and that's what James is saying here. It's our own desires that actually draw us into sinning, and those desires, whether they're good or bad, come out of what we believe. I know when I heard you teach on this, you used an example of a family that has small children and You know, mom steps out for a minute and they come back and uh, there's a baseball lying on the floor in the living room and a ball and a broken lamp. And uh, uh, mom says to the kids, what happened? And uh, maybe you can tell that story for us to illustrate uh, uh, what James is saying here. Yeah, right. Um, I was telling the story. You can imagine one boy saying to his brother's, Uh, Let's play baseball. And so they play baseball in the living room, and a lamp ends up being broken, and Mom comes home and says, What happened? And one brother might point to the other brother and say, Well, he wanted to play baseball, and the lamp broke. Well, he left out part of the story. And, of course, the part of the story he left out was, that they were aware that mom and dad don't want them playing baseball in the living room, that bad things happen when you do that, and that they decided to ignore that parental guidance, and they decided that it was desirable to play baseball. It would be more fun than not playing baseball, and so they chose to play baseball. But when the child tells his mother, well, my brother wanted to play baseball and the lamp broke, They're leaving all of that out, what went on in their heart when they decided to do that. And that's where the Lord wants us to, uh, that's where the Lord wants us to go. He wants to show us that that's really where sin is coming from. As Jesus says in Mark chapter 7, that our sinful actions come from inside our heart. They don't come from things that are outside of us. They come from within these desires that grow in our heart. And it's really interesting, both illustrated in Genesis 3 and also what James is saying, that for some reason we're reluctant to see those internal processes, right? We, we just we look at the conclusion and maybe we don't want to admit what was going on inside of us or maybe we're ignorant of what's going on inside of us. And we literally believe I just picked up a bat and, you know, now the, the lamp got broke. And, and what God is doing is he's informing us of what's going on inside of us as a grace to help us to battle some of these things. Yes, and fortunately, we don't have to figure all of that out because the Lord very extensively teaches this, that um, this whole issue gets foggy on several levels. One is that um, Satan and his demons are busy spreading lies, just as Satan did in Genesis chapter 3, spreading lies in our culture and our world, and we end up believing a lot of those. Another thing is that often these strong desires that we have are called deceitful lusts. Just like Eve, based on these lies that we believe, we can convince ourselves that these things that we're wanting are actually good when, in fact, God said they'll kill us. So the desires themselves can be deceitful. 
And then, of course, we know that our hearts are deceitful among all things that we're excellent at um, deceiving ourselves about what our desires are and where they came from. And then finally, of course, the whole point in Genesis 3 about the, the being naked and ashamed and hiding and making fig leaves. And um, that's essentially when Eve does, when she leaves that part of, out of the story, is she is hiding that. She is hiding what went on in her heart from God because she doesn't want him to see it. And often we don't want to see that ourselves. And so we just block that out. So understanding and admitting what's going on are really keys to getting this process going in terms of uh, helping in those things. Right, and that's precisely where the Lord is working on us. Uh, He always has, even in the Old Testament, but certainly uh, under the New Covenant where the Lord puts his uh, law in our hearts, the Holy Spirit is at work in us where both the instruction that we get from the scriptures, like in Hebrew, like in Genesis three and in James one, um, that information helps us, but also the Holy Spirit is at work in our hearts, convicting us of sin and righteousness and judgment. And there's a very supernatural work that the Lord is doing to take His word and show us those things in our own hearts that we don't want to admit are there. Well, maybe you can develop that just a little bit further. Um, why does God want us to understand why we sin? And, and how does the gospel, as you just alluded to, how does the gospel help rescue us as we understand these, these sinful processes inside of us? It is part of the gospel that what God does is he's calling us to confess and repent of our sins and trust in his son for forgiveness and, and restoration of relationship with him. And part of that is recognizing that that sin is actually something that we do. It it comes out of our hearts, and that's what needs to be repaired. That's what God is fixing. There's more going on in the gospel than simply we've broken some rules, and God will forgive us, and we don't have to go to hell. What God is doing in the gospel is he is restoring us back to being a holy people for him. And part of that process, uh, even after we become believers, as Paul talks about in the book of Ephesians, is that as Christians, God wants us to lay aside the old self, which is talking about our thinking and our desires and our behavior, to lay that aside and to put on the new self, that has the new kind of thinking and desires and behavior that correspond to the way his son, Jesus Christ, thinks and what his desires are and how he behaves. And the Lord asks us to do that, but to do that we have to recognize what the old self and the deceitful lusts are and to uh, cooperate with his Holy Spirit and his word as he shows us what the right way to think, the right things to believe, the right things to desire. Um, The Holy Spirit is supernaturally making changes in our heart, but it's God's desire that we recognize those things and cooperate with what he's doing. Yeah, Ephesians chapter 1, the writer tells us that God has called us, right? He's called us to this purpose of holiness and blamelessness. 
And then that gets fleshed out in the subsequent portions of the book. And this, this put off, put on process you're describing is really the means by which the Holy Spirit helps to develop that holiness and that blamelessness. Um, so, so thinking along those lines, I mean, Paul calls, um, uh, as, as James does also, the, the lusts of deceit, the, 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 these desires that trick us and lie to us. So walk us through that process, um, maybe even using that example of, uh, you know, the boys that play baseball and the lamp gets broke. How would, how would they walk through this process to be able to realize what were they believing that were lies, and how can they put those off and replace those with things that are true that they might make better decisions next time? Well, that's a good question because I think it's clear in the Scripture that that's why God teaches us about this process. He wants us to understand this because it's part of how he works in the realm of sanctification to help us become more like his son. And I think what his kids would need to do is stop and really think that there is something that went on between brothers saying, let's play baseball and the ball hitting that lamp. Uh, there were decisions that each of the kids made in deciding to do that, and they need to evaluate that. And first of all, just admit that that actually happened. I would be so bold as to say that no one is capable of making, forcing us to sin including Satan. Uh, people might put some pressure on us to do it, but for each child to recognize just because brother said, let's play baseball and it'll be fun, that they had to go through the process of, of asking themselves, well, why did I decide that that was a better idea than obeying mom and dad about not playing ball in the living room? And why did I decide that would be more fun and it was worth it to me and decide to follow through and play baseball? Because until they really acknowledge that they've done that, they're going to do just what Eve did. They're going to try to put it off on brother and not accept their own uh, responsibility for what they did. And it's difficult um, in that, in more serious circumstances, to actually confess sin to God and be cleansed of that and restored and restore relationship if we're never really acknowledging, I'm culpable for what I did. I chose to do that. It's not my circumstances were such and such. I wanted this. I was short of this. I was sad because I don't have this. Whatever the circumstances were, that we can't just draw a straight line from that and say that justifies my sin. We have to be willing to acknowledge that I've chosen, I have decided that there's something that I want more than I want to honor Christ and obey Him. And I think that's really a part of this Ephesians 4 text is, is getting under the hood and seeing the operations of our desires and our thinking and how repentance and confession, as you're describing, really has to start at that level. We can't just talk about, I'm not going to break the lamp anymore. It's those desires. It's the thinking that led to the choosing to do something that wasn't appropriate. And, um, and that's how God is helping us to, through the gospel, to change those things at the heart level. Yes, in fact, um, I 
think of a couple of passages in particular, both Paul, one in Romans and one in Colossians, where Paul specifically says that the law has no power to restrain our our um, our deceitful desires. And that's what he's talking about. Simply knowing the rules does not give us the power to step across the line. Uh, what has power to transform us is when we begin to acknowledge that it's what's going on in our heart and our acknowledgement that we are believing lies and choosing what's desirable and what we're going to pursue based on lies rather than on what God has ordained for us and told us is good and whatever situation God has put us in right now, that that actually is the most desirable thing. Simply knowing the rules has no power to control that. Well, this has been very helpful and very insightful. Literally from Genesis all the way into the New Testament, we see how God is helping us to understand why we sin and then in the gospel, uh, rescuing us uh, to uh, expose those things and change our hearts and through the power of the Holy Spirit to put off the old and put in the new. So thank you so much for taking a few minutes to be with us to explain this. And um, I think it's been very helpful for our listeners. Thank you for having me. Counsel the Word. To hear uh, a full-length teaching on what uh, David has shared with us uh, briefly today about why we sin in temptation, I'd invite you to go on our church's website at gracebiblegranberry.com slash sermons, and you can hear that full-length message entitled, Why Do We Sin? 